Our second reading this morning is from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 1, starting with verse 4. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over the nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the words spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. It's the middle of February. Winter seems like it's going to be keep its hold here in East Tennessee until the bitter end. And as far as most of us are concerned, it's hard to envision anything else anytime soon. In fact, I was talking to Jennifer Mariansky on Wednesday night who put it perfectly when she said, February may be the shortest month, but it sure feels like the longest. But there's one group of people whose eyes are fixed further down the road, looking intently at what the future holds. High school and college seniors are beginning to obsess about graduating in May. To some, to some degree, that's because after 13 or 17 or even 22 years of school, they've had enough. They're ready to be done. The bigger reason they're obsessing about the future, though, is that the rest of us keep nagging them with a question they have come to dread. What are you going to do after graduating? The answer we expect, of course, is something along the lines of, I'm going to Davidson or to Maryville College or to UT or I'm going to major in political science or nursing or forestry or education or I'm going into the Peace Corps or the military, or graduate, to a, going to graduate school, or a training program at an engineering firm, or even I'm running off to join the circus. The truth is, though, that most soon-to-be graduates have no idea where they're going or what they're going to be doing. And every time we ask the question, it raises their anxiety level just another notch. That anxiety will begin to peak about April 1st when college admissions letters or job offers start to appear or not. What are you going to do after you graduate? The best answer I've ever gotten to that question was from a guy who said, I'm thinking about dinner and a movie, but I haven't decided yet. <laughs> what are you going to do after you graduate? What are you going to do with your life? That's the question. And the truth is that that's the question for all of us, for all of our lives. 
how are you going to live? What are you going to do with your days? Who are you going to be in this world? The big fancy theological term for all of this is vocation. The dictionary defines the word as the work or profession for which one is specially fitted. We contrast vocation or work with avocation or hobby. But in spiritual terms, that's not what it means at all. Vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, to call. And a person's vocation, their calling, is what he or she has been summoned by God to spend a lifetime doing. One of the best and biggest ideas in the Christian faith is that God has something in mind for us, each of us, individually. That's what we proclaim and celebrated Wednesday night with each of our confirmands in that special service. John Calvin says each individual has his or her own kind of living assigned by the Lord as a sort of sentry post so that we may not heedlessly wander through life. The Apostle Paul says to each is given a gift of the Spirit for the common good. God has something in mind for each of us individually. How are you going to live? What are you going to do with your days? Who are you going to be in this world? Vocation. That's the challenge facing Jeremiah in this morning's Old Testament reading. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. This is one of the famous call stories in the Bible. We see them scattered throughout the Old Testament especially. God calls Abraham and Sarah to be parents of a great nation. God calls Moses to bring the people out of Egypt. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. God calls Samuel to lead the nation of Israel. God calls Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and Deborah and Micah and Ezekiel and Elisha and countless others to bring the world back into right relationship with God. It happens over and over and over again in the Old Testament, and the pattern is always the same. God calls, and the candidate declines on the grounds that he or she is not up to the task. In our passage from Jeremiah, he responds, Ah, Lord God, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a boy. Maybe you remember Raphael Septian. Septian was a kicker for the Dallas Cowboys in the late 1970s and early 80s. And he was pretty good. He was the Cowboys' leading scorer during those years. But it turns out that what Septian was really good at was coming up with excuses for why he missed field goals. Once he shanked the ball wide, so far wide past the goalposts that he said it was because the 30-second clock was distracting me. During a game in Houston, he missed four of five attempts because he said he was too busy reading his own stats on the Astrodome scoreboard. Later, he missed a game-winning field goal at home at a home game in Texas Stadium. Septium claimed the grass was too tall. The problem was Texas Stadium didn't have grass. It was artificial turf, which, of course, is always the same length because it's fake. It doesn't grow. 
Another time he said, my helmet was too tight and it was squeezing my brain. I couldn't think. But by far, the best was the day when yet another field goal attempt went awry. Septian turned to Danny White, his quarterback, who was also his holder, and dead serious said, no wonder I missed. You held the ball upside down. (laughs) Septian seemed to have an excuse for everything. And he's in good company because... As, the pages of scripture, as in the pages of Scripture, when God calls, we hear some marvelous, marvelously creative excuses. Moses says, I'm not a good public speaker. Abraham and Sarah say, we're too old. Jeremiah says, I'm too young. Isaiah says, I'm not worthy. Hosea says, I'm in the middle of a divorce. Elijah says, I'm too close to my parents. Everyone has an excuse, a reason not to go. The pattern is always the same. God calls, the candidate declines. But we know there's a next step in the pattern. God won't take no for an answer. God, if you haven't experienced in your own life, is pretty persistent. Do not say I'm only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. And then comes the promise. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. God calls, candidate declines, God persists, then God promises. Years later, Jeremiah proclaims, then the Lord touched my mouth and said to me, Now I've put my words in your mouth. It would be infinitely more helpful, wouldn't it, if it were that clear for each of us. If we could actually recognize when God was speaking to us. What does God's voice sound like? I don't know about you, but I can tell you that I've never in my life heard the audible voice of God. At least not in any form that I recognized. And that makes me wonder if maybe it wasn't all that distinct or clear for Moses or Jonah or Jeremiah either. As I look back at life-changing events and important decisions in my own life, things look a lot clearer in hindsight than they did in the midst of the chaos. At the time, it's pretty confusing. You lie awake at night wrestling with options and try to sort your life out. Should I do this or that? What if I go that way? What if I do this? What if I just stay put? Those are questions of vocation. The questions we wrestle with whether we're 18 or 22 or 102. How am I going to live? What am I going to do with my days? Who am I going to be in this world? There's a wonderful line in a poem by William Stafford that says, Ask me whether what I have done is my life. Ask me whether what I've done is my life. For some people, that may sound like a ridiculous question, the kind of flowery prose and empty words that you can expect from a poet. Obviously, my life has been my life. But I want to suggest What I want to suggest is that that may be the hardest question of all. The question of whether the life I'm living 
is the life I was made for, the life I have in me to lead, the deepest, most creative, best life I could offer. Ask me whether what I've done is my life. Sometimes, happily, some of of us earn paychecks for doing just that. Sometimes our vocation pays our mortgage and puts groceries on the table. I'm grateful that that's been the case for me, that ministry, as someone, someone once said, is the greatest job in the world if you like doing it, and I do. So you can be called to be a pastor, but you can also be called to be a parent or a poet or a principal or a plumber. And who's to say any of those is any less called than a pastor? Let me tell you, there are plumbers who understand their work to be a calling from God. I know that because I've met at least one of them in my life. I called and he showed up when it was not just our refrigerator that was not right, but at a time when it seemed like Diana in my world was upside down, when our family's entire lives were broken, and he brought a moment of God's peace into our chaos. And I think he knew that's why he was there. It's a high and noble calling, and don't let anyone tell you differently. Sometimes your calling and your job are the same thing. God called Johann Sebastian Bach to write music, and Georgia O'Keeffe to create art, and Benny Reagan to fix leaky pipes, and Rick Barnes, we hope, to keep winning basketball games. Sometimes your calling and your job are the same thing, but not always. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes the challenge is to find a way to earn a living in order to be able to carry out your vocation. Maybe for you, answering God's call happens when you get home to your family after eight hours at whatever place pays your salary. Maybe your call is tutoring someone for whom English is a second language. Maybe your call is to teach Sunday school or to create things in a studio or to review financial records, or to pray for the sick. There may not be a salary attached to your vocation, but that makes it no less of a calling from God, a calling which ought to be pursued with all the energy and all the talent and all the passion God gives. What are you going to do with your life? That's the question, isn't it? How are you going to live What are you going to do with your days? Who are you going to be in this world? A few years ago, the author, Anna Quinlan, delivered the commencement address at Villanova University. She was speaking to those graduates who were ready to enter the workforce for the first time, and so she included all the wisdom about our jobs not defining who we are and about being more than a resume. And then she said, here's my resume. I'm a good mother to three good children. I've tried to never let my profession stand in the way of being a good parent. I show up, I listen, I try to laugh. I'm a good friend to my husband. I've tried to make our marriage vows mean what they say. I show up, I listen, I try to laugh. I'm a good friend to my friends and they to me. I call them on the phone 
and I meet them for lunch. I show up, I listen, and I try to laugh. And then she said, I suppose the best piece of advice I could give anyone is pretty simple. Get a life. Get a life. Get a real life. Not a manic pursuit of the next promotion, the bigger paycheck, the larger house. Get a life in which you're not alone. Find people you love and who love you. Get a life in which you're generous. Get a life and realize that life is the best thing ever and that you have no business whatsoever taking it for granted. Ask me whether what I've done is my life. Amen.